Welcome to the Thrive at 20 podcast, where we're celebrating 20 years of Thrive Partnership Group by sitting down with leaders who have helped shape the legacy of the organization. Here's founder Rob Sagan in conversation with one of those leaders today. All right, uh, Thrive at 20 podcast listeners. We're excited today to be joined by Jeff Drew, the Director of Sales, Trade, and Commercial Operations at Emergent Biosolutions. And as North Americans, if you don't know Emergent Biosolutions, you will know about them today, and you'll be happy that you do because they are providing such a positive impact on our society with the drug contamination crisis that's sweeping across North America. Gosh, Jeff, I just heard about since Christmas, three young people in the prime of their lives, early 20s, early 30s, who uh, succumbed to drug overdose. Not sure if in every case it was an issue that you guys could have uh, helped rescue that individual through Narcan, the drug rescue drug that you guys are distributing in North America. But it sure sure hits home when you see those dramatic stories. I think uh, a famous hockey player uh, this week, his brother passed from an overdose. And again, I don't know if it was connected to the contamination, the drug, the illicit drug supply, but most of the time it is. And most of the time had the rescue drug Narcan and the kit had been there with the proper professional help. You know, he'd still be with us today. So it is, uh, it is affecting every, every swath of society. And you must be very excited to be part of the solution, Jeff. So do you want to give us a little, in-depth understanding of that, and then we'll explore what I would call a a, a path less less taken uh, in the life science industry with your history, and that's, that's some of the things you want to unpack here today. But let's start with that, Jeff. What uh, what can you tell us about Emergent and about Narcan? Yeah, well, thanks, Rob. Thanks for the uh, thanks for the introduction, and uh, you know, for anyone who who doesn't know, Emergent Biosolutions is uh, it's exactly what Rob just described. We're, we're an organization that manufactures and and distributes uh, Narcan nasal spray uh, across various communicate communities across the uh, across the country and, and various channels. And you're you're exactly right, Rob. The uh, the uh, overdose crisis uh, in North America is escalating at a remarkable rate, and um, you know, very, very sad stories, sad background stories, um, you know, with the illicit drug supply. Um, it, uh, it, it's it's not who you might think it is. It's not, you know, exclusive to, um, you know, those people that are uh, living on the street and, and addicted to drugs. This this crisis is much, much more wide reaching than that. Uh, you, you just mentioned, uh, you know, some of the individuals uh, in, in, in the news <clears throat> You know, suffering from uh, from overdose and their families. You know, these are just not the not the individual who who's impacted by this. It's you know, it's the moms and the dads and brothers and uncles and next door neighbors. It's it it reaches into the community and um, it 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 rips the heart out of those communities. So I'm 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 very very proud of the work that we're doing at Emergent, um, working with community leaders, working with uh, policymakers, working with uh, the pharmacy channel to increase the distribution of Narcan into, into communities. So those are affected by, um, you know, an overdose situation or a, a drug poisoning situation are more likely to have someone nearby with a, a Narcan kit that could administer that and give that person a second chance. Yeah, you know, Jeff, what what strikes me as I had a chance to visit with you and your colleagues on the senior leadership team in Canada and uh, get to meet more of the team as time has gone on, I don't think I've ever met a group of people in my career that are so engaged and driven in their work. I mean, it's not that surprising when you think about the impact that Emergent is having and what, you know, each of you can go home and proudly say to your families that, and hopefully we save some more lives today. It's it's a terrible, I guess, uh, community situation, but at least you're there to provide some relief and some hope, right? So, boy, I tell you, if every to a person, uh, as I've gotten to know each of you and I've got to watch you perform as a team, I, I just the energy is palpable. Uh, it's in fact, I think that the 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 one thing that I've learn that I have to do to help you guys is to help you find the balance, help you find the switch so that you can turn it off and enjoy your lives and have something to give back the next day. Right. 
that's probably got to be, and that's, that's probably something you observe, Jeff, having come from other sectors of life science, that once you got your feet planted with this group, you're probably worried a little bit about that for yourself and for your colleagues. How do you turn it off? Yeah. So, yeah, that's 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 a that's a great observation, Rob. So, you know, it, we're a, we're a pretty small team, actually. And uh, but but most of us have come from, uh, you know, the pharmaceutical industry or the life sciences industry. And, and we've all worked in very meaningful uh, uh, drug categories, uh, treatment categories, um, you know, oncology, rare disease, um, you know, really having an impact on those patient groups and, and their families in that patient uh, patient journey. This one is a little bit different, um, and part of that is the immediate impact because, like, literally, if you put some one of these kits in someone's hands, they have the potential to save someone's life on the spot. So it's very rewarding. It's challenging, um, but in, and the intrinsic reward is is uh, it's it's something different than I've ever experienced uh, in, in my in my career, and I've, I've worked in a number, with a number of different organizations and a number of different uh, causes. Um, and sometimes it's just not time to turn it off, Rob. And, you know, if we, you know, that you know, the, the, there is there is you know periods where you're digging in, and and um, you know, there's a full commitment there. Uh, I think people like yourself that come in and, and help us realize that we have to step back at, at, at some times or, you know, sometimes, you know, the exchange in the boardroom gets heated a little bit sometimes because we're not always perfectly aligned on next steps. Uh, and we have to take us, you know, take a step back and, you know, really kind of revisit what we're trying to accomplish and, and why we're doing this and then kind of reset and, and come together. This is a good thing. We're all passionate about this. Um, we hold one another accountable. Uh, both professionally and, you know, to a certain extent, I guess, personally, where we'll say, and I, I will see some of my colleagues that are, you know, they're kind of reaching the point where they're going to burn out. And this is the danger, right, that we that we get to the point where we don't realize that it's time to step back. So if someone can help us say, hey, you need to you need to take a little bit of a, a break, you know, take a couple of days. We can we can pick up the slack while you're gone, um, because unfortunately, by the time you reach that burnout point and you realize you've reached the burnout point. You're burnt out, and that's a much <laughs> yeah, more, yeah. more difficult path back uh, once you're burnt out. And, I, and I'm sure it puts uh, some positive pressure on your family to remind you, right, when to tur- turn down the laptop, put the phone on uh, on, on on vibrate, because uh, most people probably know this, but the Narcan kits aren't everywhere we all want them to be all the time. Um, you haven't completely achieved your goals of, of supply so that they're, you know, uh, everywhere we need them. Right. So, and I know that how much that motivates you, Jeff, to continue and, and, the, and the whole team there at Emergent Canada to continue to find creative ways to get, get that, get those kits out there. So may, maybe, uh, maybe take us through Jeff, a little bit of the, and you've been there now a couple of years. So, where do you think you are as a team on getting full society distribution and access to Arcan? Are you 50% there? 20% there? We're a long, long way away, Rob. We're, uh, you know, we're nowhere near those numbers. And, uh, you know, we, we talked at the, uh, at the, at the top of this uh, podcast about the escalating crisis and it continues to grow at a rate faster than, than we can keep up. Um, so we've, we've got a long way to go across the country. Uh, we're, we're nowhere near that point of feeling like, we're we're catching up to this uh, to this crisis. So um, we you know we try to identify groups that can that, that can help uh, facilitate some increased distribution. You know we 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 work with uh, different stakeholders across the uh, across various communities to do that. We you know we gain advocates. Um, you know we work it with uh, different government agencies looking for all, all always looking for uh, different. Angles or different paths to increase this uh, I- increase this distribution, um, but you're you're right when you know when we talk about family. My family is the most important thing in the world to me, and this this the, the work that I do is important. But um, if one of my kids comes and needs me, or or my wife or my dad, um, that is always going to take precedent over this. Yeah, it, it, I, you know, kind of. I guess that if you look at similar roles in society where the stakes are that high, like emergency room physicians, 
firefighters, first responders, especially in those busy precincts, right? Um, I guess it's one of the things you have to learn and bring that skill with you or hone it quickly is when I'm at work, I don't have to worry about my engagement and I know I'm making an impact, but how do I find the discipline to turn it off so that I have the reserves, the, the sort of reservoir of energy and come back and do it again tomorrow? So, yeah. Have you, have you had to adapt in any way compared to other more sort of traditional life science roles? How have you personally adapted, Jeff, to being able to turn it on, turn it off, and, and be that intense? Um, yeah, you know, so I, I, I do depend on my family for that. And, you know, I, 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 um, I, think it's, I think a big part is to prove to them that when they do need to me or show them, demonstrate, not prove, but demonstrate or, or be consistent with that, that if they ask, if, if, you know, if, my, if one of my family members needs some help or they're asking for help, that I respond. And so the next time they're in this, a similar situation where they need help, they can depend. They know that they can depend on me. They know that that they're the most important thing in my life, and and that they won't have to necessarily. It may not happen at the exact moment that they need the help, Rob, or that they're asking yeah. for the help. It'll certainly help. Uh, I'll certainly help them when when they need it at the point of help. But but they know that it's coming, and they know that they know that the request is is going to be honored. I, I I'll, I'll look after them, and uh, by by just being consistent with that that opens the door for the next time that they need help. Right. Yeah. Come and ask. And, and if, by the way, if, if that's the opposite of, you know, if my kids have come and asked for help and I, and I've either said yes, but not done it or said no, you know, every time that happens, that decreases the likelihood that they're going to ask. And I, I, I don't want, I don't want to be that dad. <laughs> I want to be the dad that I want to be the dad that can be depended on. You've never been that dad as the girls grow up now and, start looking at colleges and universities it's 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 probably been one of the things i know you're most proud of is that you're a very engaged father and husband um i guess one of the things though jeff that i observe with you and with your colleagues uh, as well is like everyone else uh, and a lot of the folks that we spend time with are in say life science as an example like you you know we all rent our time to our employer you could argue that it's about 2000 hours a year right when you really look at it um and that's that's a that's a big commitment now how do you approach those 2000 hours at work so when you have made the conscious decision yet yeah, yeah these are the hours i'm willing to give to emergent and to our important cause you, you know you've got a only a big title there with <laughs> you know it, it took a while to get the whole introduction done sales trade commercial operations and emergent um, there's a lot going on in your jurisdiction. How do you decide where to put that time so that it, you know, so that you optimize the impact of your work? Um, yeah, I, I think it's put, it's just putting parameters around that, Rob. And, and, uh, you know, I'm, a, I'm a, I'm a big schedule guy. Uh, I like to, you know, keep my, my calendar current. So I know, you know, what's open, what's booked, um, and, and, and committing to that. And, you know, similar to, you know, a number of people that I've come across, I'll, I'll, I'll intentionally block time in my calendar, uh, time to, to think and reflect and, and time to, uh, strategize. Um, and I think if in those periods where I haven't done that, uh, it becomes, it becomes very, very difficult to, um, separate, uh, professional time from personal time. And it can easily bleed into your professional commitment can easily bleed into the evenings and into the weekends. And um, if you don't catch that, again, this is this, this kind of the same theme about burnout. If you don't catch that and you, and you don't see that, you know, it's often too late by the time you realize the impact that it's taking on your, on your personal life, it's, it's a difficult road back. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, I really see in you and your colleagues that you've had to uh, be very disciplined in your time management, your priority management, uh, way more so than most people that I support. It's 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 not a nice to have capability set; it's a have to have. So that orientation to making sure you're spending time in your highest value activities, to borrow the phrase is i would think like 
table stakes. And I, and I would imagine that it's something that you look at when you're interviewing candidates to join Emergent, right? Do they have that personal discipline at an extremely high level? Because if you come in and you're a little sloppy and you're someone who gets tempted to chase the next butterfly that floats past your nose, or on the other end of the extreme, you know, some people have the tendency to chase diminishing returns. What what am I? client said she catches herself doing the wrong things very well <laughs> you know like chasing the font on a powerpoint presentation for way more hours than it's now worth man if you if you suffer from either of those two tendencies you'll get run over at uh, at emergent like you just won't make it so you have to have an extraordinary ability from what i've observed to well first of all define what it is you're pursuing in your job and with your colleagues what are the appropriate end goals, you know, the Stephen Covey notion of start with the end in mind. I, I really enjoyed watching you guys have a very raucous debate about what exactly that looks like at the end of 2024. And then the next conversation, which I saw you guys put more rigor into than most is, okay, well, if this is where we need to end up, we all agree that we have to make some difficult choices, but these are the right choices. Um, what do we expect from each other? And I, I found the intensity of each person then presenting, well, this is what I'm going to contribute. What do you, what the rest of you think? <laughs> like a lot of times when I run that exercise with clients, I mean, we call it a personal success plan, but it's that sort of put your approach on one page, your why, your what, your how. And man, I love that. The, 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 the engagement in that conversation that each of you had from your president right across the whole leadership team, you didn't let anybody off the hook. You didn't let a single error in your in your in your presentation uh, go without some commentary and some good debate, and then a, a, even a very vigorous debate then on the structure of the team and what was going to be the best structure for this year because it needed to evolve, it needed to change, it needed to be some somewhat radical change for you guys to hit your mandate. So I loved it. I love the intensity of it, but it's a big difference, right, Jeff? From other places you've been because your your path in life science, as I mentioned at the beginning of the call, has been an unusual one. You came, you, you've had some traditional big pharma experience, some specialty pharma experience. You've been in sales, marketing, operational side. But of all of those roles, I don't know, have you ever seen the need to be this intense and disciplined around your priority management as, as this one? Well, I, so I, <laughs> I I can get pretty intense sometimes. <laughs> um, but I think the example, I think in this example, we're talking about with this particular group, I think, you know, when we, you know, read uh, Patrick Lencioni and, uh, you know, at the very, very base of success of, of teams, there needs to be, and there needs to be a trust established. And, and I believe that that's true of this group. And once that trust is there, um, then we build up from there. So you can yeah. you we, and, and the debate is fine. The and debate is part of that trust. We're going to we're going to we're going to trust one another to, you know, point out the flaws in our thinking and um, and 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 hold one another accountable. And that that intergroup accountability, I think that's what uh, that's what's important with this. Um because you're right, you can you can start chasing the wrong thing. Um, you can start focusing on you know things that aren't necessarily of paramount uh, importance, and that's where this exercise that we went through together um, in in kind of in the fourth quarter of uh, of 2023, where that that really comes in, because that's this is kind of our guiding our our guiding light, right? This is our this is what we've agreed upon that was important. This is why we're doing this. This is what each of us are doing to contribute to that. Some of that you know, is, is, um, connected across the different functional areas. Others, other, other things are just, you know, our, our individual responsibilities to do that. Um, so I think that where that, that, that success of this team comes in is being able to, to trust one another to, you know, not just do what they said that we're going to do or do what we said we were going to do, but hold one another accountable to what each of us said we we're going to do. And I think most of the time when we get off, or, or get away from that. There's no intent there. Uh, there's no malintent. It's just maybe a blind spot. And you know, all this. Although this group is unique with what we're doing, um, most, if not all, of the teams that I've worked on, whether I was a leader of the team or a member of the team, that's been an essential ingredient for success: is that trust and and 
and depending on one another to to call each other out. Um, we're all trying. We're all you know we 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 all think we're doing the best thing. And I've never worked on a team where there is uh, you know intentional sabotage. And I'm lucky enough to not to have uh, experienced that. Um, where that trust and that conversation comes through, and it's often how you how you present your case. Um, you know how you say things is often as important as what you say. And uh, having that mutual respect and trust is, 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 a, is a big, big part of that. And I, and I think for any team, in fact, I, I think if that trust piece is missing, um, it's only a matter of time before that, before the, you know, the, the, that team success starts to, uh, starts to fade. Yeah. Jeff, in, in the couple, two, three years you've been there, you've probably seen some people come and go. Uh, some people thrive in the environment. Some people struggle. What do you now look back and see as those sort of defining characteristics uh, for, and I'm asking that because our, our listeners are, in some cases, you know, a lot of people uh, took on new responsibilities since COVID. So the last couple of years, there's been a lot of change in role and responsibility in our society. And it's, it's you know, it's interesting to watch now that people have been in those new environments for a year or two. There's now another wave of change because I'm not sure everyone was thoughtful as they chose to recalibrate during COVID. And some people will have a buyer's remorse and go, ooh, this isn't what I thought it was going to be, you know, whether it's working remote uh, and changing organizations or staying in the same organization, or it's changing completely. And some people went back to get more education and completely changed their career path. But there's a lot of people who did those sorts of things. And here we are now in 2024, and it's funny how many people I'm talking to that are now reflecting and thinking, ooh, did I have enough attention to what is the unique requirement for success on my skill set as I change from what I was doing to something quite a bit different? So now that you've been with Emergent for a few years, in those more intensive work environments like Emergent where you've still not even come close to realizing the full potential of getting Narcan everywhere in Canada to provide rescue for those people going through this crisis. What are the two or three things you think make people successful in terms of their capability or sort of, sort of makeup? And what are a couple of things that if people um, don't sharpen the saw will eventually be, an obvious demise or bad fit with what you got to do in that job at Emergent. Yeah, that's a little bit of a, that. Yeah, that's a little bit of a, a tough one. So we've we, we've had a little bit of a turnover. Or I've been here for three years, and we've had a little bit of turnover. Um, we've added more people in than we've had leave. Um, yeah. And um, you know, for the most part, I think the people that have left uh, have left more for. Um, advanced career opportunities that uh, maybe weren't that pathway wasn't available for them at, at this organization. So I don't know that for most of them, there was a misunderstanding or a misconception of what what's required and what we're trying to accomplish and how we're going to go about doing that. Um, in, in, in the cases where that has been, that, that that's been obvious that, uh, you know, there, there was a lack of fit or, um, you know, people left the organization for other reasons other than career progression. Um, it, I think is more about, you know, this is this is this is comes from both sides. The person joining the organization and the, and the person hiring them. I think there needs to be a, a very very clear set of expectations and um, a description of the environment that that the person is considering to come. And, and join. And without that, um, because everything looks good, you know, it, <laughs> when, you, when you're interviewing for a job, especially if you need a job, everything looks great. Uh, oh, I can do this. This is exactly what I wanted to do. This is exactly where I want to go. And, you, and, and, and sometimes that person can have some blinders on and they, they only see the good without the potential downside. And I think the hiring manager holds a responsibility in this case to say, you know, these are the good things about this job. Here are some of the things that, you know, that may not may not seem as nice, and I want you to consider that um, because the last thing anybody wants to do is have someone come in from either side—the person joining the organization or the hiring manager of the organization. 
no one wants someone to come in and after six months say this is not working out. Yeah. No one wants that. So I think setting those those you know being as clear as uh, as possible and asking as many questions on the other side as as possible and really getting a, a sense of what that is because you never really know what you know what it's going to be like until you get until you get immersed in in uh, in the environment right so you know what the what you know what the stakeholders are the internal and external stakeholders what their needs are what the culture of the organization is the speed with which we need to operate and sometimes that is at light speed um, other times you have a little bit more time to think but not everybody not everybody is cut out for every job right and you know that and i think everybody knows that um, so i think it's incumbent on on both parties when they when they when they're considering uh, you know, someone coming into an organization or inviting someone into the organization that you make that, you make those, make those, you know, the, the good things are good, but there are also things to consider that, that are difficult. And, and, and I'm, I'm no different. There, there are things that I, I love doing in this organization. There's other things that I look at it and I know they're required. They're not my favorite things to do. So as I, um, you know, expand my team and delegate out, um, I'm very, very clear on what the expectation is and um and i and i don't want someone to have to find that out on their own now it's not perfect there's things that come up where it's a it's a it's an ever-changing uh landscape that we're working on and um as new things as new things uh appear or difficulties appear um then we approach those together as a team and 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 figure out the best path um but you know i think that clarity is is important at the outset yeah, and I, I have to say I'm very impressed, and I've talked to some other folks inside and outside your company, very impressed with the caliber of the folks who've joined you guys, particularly in the last six six to eight months. Like, it's been, it's remarkable. Like, it's it's really got to give you guys a shot in the arm to see uh, high-level talent beating a path to your door. And I don't think it's just because uh, of the obvious, where people want to know that what they do matters and that they're having an impact, but whoever is running your recruiting function, or maybe you guys have talked about it as a management team, I have to pay you guys a lot of kudos because it stands out to me, you know, because I get to visit with lots of companies in a, any given year. Right. And I would, I think you and your leadership team have done as good a job as I've seen anywhere at, filtering through all of the folks who put their hand up thinking, yeah, I'd love to go work at Emergent because look what they do. And like handpicking people who have such diverse talents and energy and intelligence and compassion. Like it's, it's a remarkable team. I think you guys are going to just take the business to a whole new level going forward with the amount of talent that you've assembled uh, there. And it, I'm very optimistic about the future of your organization as a result, but you know, I wonder, I don't think it's a, just a fluke because it's happened quite a number of times. And now you've got, you know, a, a good half dozen folks, I would think, in the last 12 months that have signed on. And they're just all just world-class talents. And they're so engaged and <laughs> they're bringing a lot to the table already. And you could see it. You could see the energy going up. And it was always a great Always had you guys always had a great reputation in the industry, but right now it's just very impressive to me to see it flourish. Is there something that changed in the way that you guys approached finding the best talent or the best fit, or are you just on a good roll? <laughs> yeah, sometimes it's lucky, Rob, right, that you find the right people. But I think um, you know one of the key factors of that is that uh, we all tap into our own network, so you know, we've got. You know the 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 senior leadership team here um, has a lot of experience, like I mentioned before, and 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 we've all worked in uh, different uh, important therapeutic areas. So we've got a wide network, um, and we cast that out when we have uh, when we have uh, you know organizational needs, and we try and find the the right people. And whether that is you know directly in the network that we have, like someone within one of our networks, or you know someone who's you know a a, a a secondary uh, network where there's a, there's a shared contact. Uh, sometimes we've had uh, stakeholders from other customer groups approach us um, mm -hmm. looking for opportunities to join our organization, which is um, it's very flattering uh, when you, when you, when you have a call from uh, a customer saying, Hey, I, you know, I saw this job posting. Uh, can you tell me a little bit more about it? I'm really interested in your organization. Um, 
so it, it's part of that. We've got a robust um, uh, recruitment and selection process because, uh, you know, we do have a, a lot of people that are looking for opportunities to join the organization and join this cause, uh, which is a it's a very, very worthy cause. Um, and uh, yeah, it, it's it's diligence in the selection process. It's it's not perfect. You know, we, we haven't you know, nobody bats a thousand. Um, but that that's part of it. So it's it's our networking. It's uh, being clear, uh, using the uh, using you know our internal processes on in uh, in, in, uh, in in selection, and uh, yeah, looking for that right talent that has the skill set to uh, to um, this is a unique it's it's a it's a new, unique work environment, right? So I think when we look for the skill set and the ability to learn and and that flexibility that uh, that comes with this. And um, and finding the right fit, it, it it's important. And I'll go back again and say because the wrong fit, it, it it just it just sets it just sets the progress back so so dramatically. Yeah, and I think that nimbleness is probably the thing that stands out to me. If you are someone who loves predictability and a clear path, you know, and something that's been done before that you can follow, <laughs> you're at the wrong place because you guys have to adapt to strategies that you can put your foot down on that pedal and see an opportunity to, to get more kits distributed. Some of them work extremely well and you double down on them, but being able to react when things don't go according to the plan and recalibrate, uh, and that's just been part of the existence there for you, right? Since day one is there's no, there's no rigid plan that you follow for re- repeated quarters and just stick with it. You got to, you got to look at the landscape and say, okay, well, this shifted on us or this partner didn't exactly deliver on what we had hoped was the potential of this strategy. So we got to move to a new plan because we can't, we can't not get these kits out there. There's people who uh, it's a life-saving situation. So what do we got to do better and different? And I find that that's probably the biggest characteristic I see in the, especially the new talent you've created, created is, or, or recruited is they, are very quick on their feet and um, there's a humility there in a sense. And uh, yet there's still that same intensity to find, find ways to adapt. Yeah. There's a couple of pieces in there, Rob. Yeah. There's, it's, it's definitely, um, this is, this is a big thing that I needed to adapt to is the ambiguity that we work. The the, Mm -hmm. the environment that we work in is very ambiguous and, 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 and to be able to work with um, some ambiguity in the, it, it 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 was a it was a shift for me. Um, some people thrive on that. Some people, you yeah. know, really really get energized by that, and that's part of I think the group that you know that, that recently joined the organization. I think that that uh, you know forging forging a path that hasn't been there before is really exciting for them. And I've had to I've had to adapt to that. Um, what, you know, one of the other factors that you know I, I didn't mention is a lot of the people that have joined our organization, both you know in Canada and the United States have a personal connection to this opioid uh, crisis and having a personal connection. Um, it, 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 it is very, very powerful and uh, it, and it brings more meaning to the work that, that we do. So, you know, maybe this uh, state of ambiguity is offset by the, by the, by the mindset that, you know, I'm, I'm preventing this same experience for someone else to have, yeah. or, 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 or I'm offsetting the impact of that. And, um, and then that makes it easier to, to navigate through that kind of uncertainty. Yeah. And it sure puts uh, energy in the tank, doesn't it? I remember years ago, Jeff, when I first opened my practice, I visited with a general manager who I asked her. So I think it was probably about this time of the year. I said, how was last year? You just brought, you know, just, uh, looked at your results. Did, did you make your numbers on this launch? I think they were launching into the multiple sclerosis space. And uh, she said, yeah, we just made it. I mean, we just got over the finish line by a few percentage points. And I was really happy about that. I said, oh, congratulations. You know, to hit a launch target in your first year is always a challenge. Um, so how did you do that? She goes, well, you know, it was a bit of a unusual set of outcomes. We had, you know, 10 clinical specialists across the country that we recruited and deployed. And actually she said, I think it's eight or nine didn't quite make the number, (laughs) but 
But we had a, a, a clinical representative in in Eastern Canada, Atlantic Canada, who just blew it out of the water. And you know, Atlantic Canada doesn't have the biggest population base. So I said, well, they must have had a tremendous year. She said, I, I, if I recall correctly, it was like two hundred percent plan, and it was a very robust, mathematically oriented plan. So it wasn't just lucky or fluky. I said, well, how did he do it? She goes, well, let's just put it this way. Um, you know, when 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 you when I asked him. Uh, during the year when we saw such progress and, and, and such success, what's the secret to your, you know, getting off to such a quick start? He said, look, Deb, when I, my wife has MS. So when I roll out of bed in the morning, I don't need motivation. I, I'm out there because I'm not out there just for uh, the community. I'm out there for everyone who's like her. And I see what she goes through on a day-to-day basis. So <laughs> my mojo has never been higher. And there's a lot to be said for that, right, is showing up and having the drive to overcome whatever obstacle is in front of you. And I think that with you guys uh, finding team members who are that driven, you know, I'm not surprised to see how much you're enjoying it, Jeff. I mean, your your career path has touched some, almost every facet of the life science industry, but you seem to really enjoy this 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 gig and and the impact you guys can have so let's cover a little bit of the background because i mentioned at the top of the conversation that you have taken the path less chosen by others now you're you started where a lot of people start you started in the field right as a territory manager and then did you not move out west to take your first sales management gig yeah, yeah, that's that's exactly right. I was lucky enough. This company that I uh, started in this industry, in life science industry, um, it, it no longer exists. It's been acquired a couple of different times. Um, but I was lucky enough to join an organization where uh, you know, and, and when when pipelines were robust and uh, blockbuster drugs were being launched, you know, it seemed like you know every couple of uh, every couple of months. So I was lucky enough to join and to get into this industry at that time with a wonderful company. Um, the leader, uh, the leader of our, our organization is, uh, he's since retired, his name's Graham Jobson. Uh, he was way, way, way ahead of the curve in terms of uh, culture development and, and, uh, and, and the importance of culture on the productivity of, uh, of an organization. He's one of, he's one of the, the favorite, my favorite leaders that, that I've ever had the, the, the pleasure of working with. And, and so, yeah, I started as a, uh, I started in the field as a uh, carrying the bag and, uh, and my territory was in southwestern Ontario and, uh, you know, had some, um, you know, it was a pretty steep learning curve and learning how to do this. It was it had been different. I worked in a couple of different jobs after I would had graduated uh, and, and finished school. So it was it was new for me, um, but I enjoyed it. Um, I think one of the factors of success there was that, you know, that I um you know, I have a strong work ethic. I showed that I could be dependable. I was lucky enough through an expansion to be uh, given the opportunity to move into a, you know, people leadership role. You're right, Rob. And my wife and I uh, moved uh, out west for that role. And we didn't have children at the time. Uh, so it was, uh, you know, not that it, not that it wasn't difficult, but it, you know, it wasn't there wasn't a difficulty added because, you know, because of, you know, relocating the kids. Um, so. Yeah, I went and uh, had, a, had a little adventure for a couple of years and uh, just over the course of uh, time, uh, had the opportunity to move back to Ontario and my wife and I moved back here and then we started having children and I, and I was with that organization for uh, almost almost 10 years. Um, it, and, and I left at the first uh, when it was at the first acquisition. So we were being acquired by a, a, another organization. Um, I went to work at a small startup uh, startup company. Um, very, very interesting, very different than an established, an established organization, because this is where I really learned that hey, when 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 you, when you have a skeleton crew, that means everybody rolls up their sleeves and it doesn't matter what your what your business card says, and what your title says. Everybody is everybody's all in in this situation. So yep. um, it was a, it was a really, really good learning experience. I made some fantastic contacts. In fact, you know, one of the uh, one of the one of the people that I worked with there, he was on the senior leadership team. He's the one that brought me into Emergent all these years later. Uh, so, uh, uh, name's David Renwick. A lot of respect for uh, for for Dave, and uh, you know, proud to say that uh, no, not just I haven't just been a coworker with him a couple of times, and you know that we're we're good friends. And um, I'm proud of the work that we did at uh, at that small startup company, and I'm proud of the work that we've done at Emergent. Um, and so, 
Moving and and so that that was a great experience working at that startup company and learning a little bit more about you know how the industry works. Um, we went through a restructure at that uh, at that point, which is typical in a startup company. Um, and this was my first foray out of that kind of brand pharma sure. group. Uh, and and I, I I went to a respiratory care company, and uh, it was largely driven an operations driven organization. So myself and another uh, another colleague had come from from the pharmaceutical industry with the intent of building some commercial uh, excellence in uh, into the organization. Um, it, it was it, <laughs> that there were some challenging uh, challenging uh, times there, but you know we'll go back to say you know the same premise uh, holds true is that 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 trust and clarity and and uh, and purpose was was really what had driven some success through what we were what we were trying uh, trying to accomplish at that at that organization. That was a lot of fun. Um, um, you know, a, a, a distinct memory I have of that, that I was responsible for the field sales, uh, field sales team in that role. And um, most of the uh, most of the people in the field were respiratory therapists by trade. They're all licensed therapists. So they're very, very bright people. They weren't doing anything that I would consider as selling. Um, so we put some parameters around that, you know, some very, very basic, basic things that, you know, um, like creating geographic territories with boundaries and, uh, you know, um, you know, having a marketing strategy with, uh, with the, the tactical plan built out for the sales uh, group. And, the, you know, we, we uh, put detailed pieces together, like some of this traditional stuff. And this was all brand new for them it was, you know, fairly, I, I thought was very basic, but the look of joy on these people's faces when we put the structure together for them was it, that, that was a rewarding part um, of, of, of that, uh, of that experience. Um, yeah, I, I, I worked in uh, I worked for a number of years with a generic, uh, a big generic um, pharmaceutical organization, both with, in the retail pharmacy, um, in the hospital business. I've worked uh, with uh, optometry and ophthalmology. Um, very, very interesting, uh, very, very interesting groups there. Uh, I had a, a, a great opportunity to work uh, as a consultant with um uh, specialty uh, pharma groups, um, rare disease, uh, oncology, um, uh, hepatitis uh, medications. Uh, it, that that was a lot of fun. I worked with with uh, medical aesthetics with uh, dermatologists and um, plastic surgeons, nurse practitioners. They, these are these are individuals that are running their own businesses, right? They're healthcare professionals and they're running their own businesses. And what I what I kind of learned, and this is, this is not a blanket statement, but a lot of times, uh, you know, those people need some help running their business and that's where the benefit that we could bring in you know the therapeutic at you know the, the therapeutic areas they were experts in we weren't really teaching them anything new about the therapeutic area but rather about how you know how to build their business using our brands and using our expertise in business and that that was a, that was a lot of fun as well yeah that was fun too yeah and you know what i think defines that diverse career path is courage like to why not like not everybody would uh, especially as a young married couple, even without kids, go yeah, let's move out west, you know, because you're both from southwestern Ontario, and that's a big move. But then, you know, come back to central Canada and to the GTA because you saw an opportunity to add some experiences in a startup. And then when you know when when things run their course, I, I've always liked that you really enjoy new things and you're not afraid to start at the bottom of the learning curve and work your way back up, whether, like you say, it was in therapeutic areas that you'd never had experience in uh, or jobs that the job description was significantly different. Like you did strategic partnership work on the uh, logistics side of the industry as well, where you were consulting as a resource to, to the big, the big pharma company. So that's probably been one of the interesting things that I've seen with you, Jeff, is just the courage. I wouldn't say you're, change junkie by any stretch but you're not afraid to try new things where does that come from is is that part of your upbringing was this just how you're wired uh yeah so you know some of those were uh, by choice and uh, some of them were forced right rob so um i think that part of that yeah so i i'm not courage and thanks though by the way that's a that's a that's a very very warm compliment thank thanks for the nice comment um i think part of that is um is is digging in and and wanting to do a good job, both you know, to to 
you know, to prove, you know, to prove to myself and to prove to others that I, that I can do this. I have, you know, I have the, uh, I have the, uh, the, the tools to learn this and become uh, proficient at it and eventually teach saying, if you can teach someone to do something, that's a real, that's a real badge of honor. Um, and then I think part of that is just recognizing when it's time to uh, move on to something new, whether that's within the same organization that, that I'm in, or if there's an opportunity to um, to move beyond that into a different into a different group, and like I said, sometimes that's by choice, and sometimes that's that you know wasn't my choice, but it's been you know thrust upon me, and, um, and there's a certain level of resiliency that, that that's required, and in you know if I if I look back at you know how I was raised, uh, you know my family had to go through that you know a couple of different times. I was lucky enough to you know. Um, to grow up in a in, in a in a very stable home environment with parents and family who love me and um, you know they provide an example on uh, you know on resiliency and morality you know being able to see you know what's right versus wrong and understanding that there are repercussions for choosing the wrong thing and you know respect for re- respect for people uh, compassion um, responsibility um, so that, that that's all a big part of I think I think you know our personalities are, are are largely developed at that young age, and, and a lot of the personality traits that come from that, that are apparent as we get older come from that that experience when we're uh, as, as we're growing up. And you know, I was very very lucky to grow up in the uh, in the family that I that that I did. Yeah, and the other thing I I see in your footprint uh, that that stands out to me is. People who have been on your teams consistently say this, that you're, you're a surprising product once they get behind the surface. Like, you're a new world man was the way someone described you when I first met you. And I said, what do you mean by that? You know, I see you look at Jeff. He's a handsome, athletic guy. You think, oh, he's going to be like a lot of other sort of jockey guys that I've met, real driver personality you know, real sort of hell bent for leather kind of guy. And it'll be interesting. And then you, you said, I got to know him and I really see a, an extraordinarily compassionate person who generally cares about his people. He said, we would run through the wall for that guy. And I think that's your stock and trade and it always has been, but is that, was that a, was that part of that family upbringing where you just have a very strong human connection? You give back. Like I know you're, you're big on the Terry Fox run and you're also someone who donate, donates blood all the time. And yeah. you, you, you're involved in the community and, you know, through your, through your daughter's activities as well. And you and your wife give back. So is that part of what you learn from your parents or is it just something you found yourself fired up about? Yeah, I think, I think there's a portion of that that comes from my, from, from my upbringing, Rob, and that's evolved, you know, by the way. And uh, you know, that probably wasn't always, it, it, that 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 feedback that you're that you're talking about it, it may not have been um it may not have been the same especially early in in my career and uh uh i, I i've learned that and that's you know just through learning and um experience and you know self reflection um listen i know what i look like i know what i sound like i look like this big frack guy you know ex jock <laughs> holding on to you know glory days um I don't want to, I, I, and, and that's part of that self-reflection. Looking back, like, okay, I know what I, I know what at first glance what what people are going to think. Um, do is that the person that I want to be, or do I want to be somebody else? And I don't really care what people think that I don't that I don't work directly with, or I don't have an impact on, or don't have an impact on me. Like that really doesn't matter to me. Um, what what does matter is is that uh, um, that I can help uh, help people. Um, you know, that I can gain their trust and gain their respect. And, um, and that, that, that's all part of the package now. And, um, I, and I think it's, it's generally that I care. Um, I, I, I care about, you know, why people are doing things and, and how they're going about doing, because how they're doing them is, is just as, as important as, as why and what they're doing. Um, and, and, and sharing that feedback and making people feel comfortable and, you know, everything doesn't have to be serious all the time. Right. Someone asked me yeah. uh, the other day about, you know, if I could describe my leadership style or strategy and uh in, in just a couple of words and i you know i said well i i think you know i lead with clarity and and empathy so 
clearly here's what we're trying to do here. Here's the here's mm-hmm. the clarity around it. And but be empathetic enough to under to understand that you know maybe the person I'm talking with didn't grasp it at the at the time, or maybe today they just can't execute on it. And be an empathetic toward that, and 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 draw it on my own experience where you know maybe that day I wasn't firing on all cylinders, um, and 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 having the realization that you know we're in this for the long term and the long haul, and maybe today we give someone a little bit of slack and let them catch up tomorrow. I think that's part of part of my part of my makeup. Um, and uh, you know, you and I've spoken about a number of different times about coming up in um, in athletics and and some of the sports that I was involved in. And I think you know, as I got older, I didn't probably didn't realize it at the time, but kind of thrust into that leadership role um, with some of the teams that I had played on. And um, you know, and, and kind of learning that as I as as I uh, as I progressed through. Um, you know, different sport. And I distinctly remember the first time uh, that I, that I felt this, you know, this feeling of, you know, kind of responsibility as a, as a leader on a team. And, you know, it's just nearing the end of my, uh, of, of um, when I was playing hockey and coming to the end of my, uh, my junior career, which by the way, was the end of <laughs> any kind, any kind of career, if you can call it a career, but I was coming to the end of that, and uh, I was lucky enough to, um, you know, be named one of the leaders on the team. And uh, the the the, uh, the coaches brought me into their office uh, right at the beginning of the season, and I've never experienced this before, Rob. I've never been invited into the coach's office, and they shared with me their vision of the, you know, the organization, what we wanted to do. We we're a very very young team. We had a, a, a lot of young players on that team, and and the role and the role that they wanted me to play in developing these, uh, these young hockey players. And, um, what a gift, what a, what a gift given to me by, by these, uh, by these coaches. Um, and I think part that, that was a part that, that set the tone for me, for me too. So, you know, I've been involved in, uh, in, in minor sports, like you said, with, you know, whether it's my kids or, you know, with other teams, because I coached other teams too. And I've always kind of brought that with me. Um, and, and to give that gift to, uh, you know, especially younger kids that are leaders on the team. Um, one of the steps that I'm sure to take with every team is when I'm talking to those leaders, help them understand what the responsibility of leadership is. Uh, and and uh, so it was late in my career that I was given that that kind of insight. And I thought, well, why wait? Why wait till, you know, that kid's 19 or 20 years old? You know, if, if you're going to ask if you're going to ask these kids to be leaders, <clears throat> you have to share with them what leadership means and what their role is and what, what the expectation is. And, and they can take that experience and apply that, you know, through their lives. And, uh, you know, I hope that I have an impact on some of those young guys and I'm not in touch with a lot of the kids that I've coached in the past. Um, you know, some of them are not, you know, most of them aren't kids anymore. They're, they're young adults. Uh, and I, you know, um, I hope that some of the experience they've had, uh, as a member of, of my team has been beneficial to them in, in different parts of their life. I hope so. Oh, well, who knows? Maybe we'll hear a podcast interview a few years from now and you'll recognize one of those voices and you'll think, I remember that kid. <laughs> no, he's a, a captain of industry somewhere like you. Uh, that, that's really cool, Jeff. And you know what, I, as you were describing that, I think what resonated with me and I had the same experience as a young man is it's so cool when someone sees the potential in you that maybe you don't even see in yourself and, it I think it causes us to see us like it's intimidating in a way, but it also gives us permission to uh, try new things, uh, be the bigger version of ourselves. Like it's so powerful, especially in those formative years when someone gives you that sort of jolt of confidence to, to, Hey, you, you could do more. You could be a bigger part of what we're trying to do here. I want you to either say like you've developed these younger players or, uh, bringing this new idea to the surface, whatever it might be, it, those early mentors and coaches in our teens and early twenties, uh, whether it's in sports or business or in the community, man, I'll tell you, uh, they're so important. It's why I have so much respect for teachers, right? The classroom is that's what we pay them to do is ignite the and get to the potential of each of those kids that are in their classroom. But sports coaches, uh, I would say, have as much opportunity, if not more, because you know, we they, we take away all the burden of what teachers face, just getting through all the noise and the and the curriculum, and they're happy if they could spend ten percent of their time uh, focusing on each student and trying to really 
create that spark. Whereas sports coaches, it's you get past the X and O's and logistics, and a lot of time it's afforded to you as a coach in the community to try to find the potential in each of those kids. So I, I, I had that same experience with my boys and with the community, and I had as much fun, if not more, in in many cases. Uh, and had more jump in my step heading off to the ball diamond or the hockey rink as I did going to work some days. So that's really cool. Um, Jeff, what, when you look back then to maybe when you were say 25 compared to the Jeff Drew that's with us here today, what do you think has been your biggest evolution? Like what are you most proud of as you've matured? Um, well, I think I've shed some of the selfishness that comes with being a young man uh, or young adult um, through marriage, through having children, through different career changes, through different leadership, through different needs, different family dynamics. I lost my mom to uh, cancer and she was very young when uh, when that happened. Um, I think just some of the life changes that uh, that present themselves mm-hmm. um, have taken that. And I would say I, I was very selfish as a young as a young man um, and shedding some of that selfishness to have a view of other people's needs and other people's feelings and their desires and what they want to do and really kind of shifting away from um, exclusively what's important to me uh, to what's important to the people that are important to me. Right. Right. And it's funny that someone from your past would have described you in their words as the new world man. I think that's a quote from a Rush, Rush song <laughs> whose book I just I just listened to Eddie Lee's book, by the way, and I would highly recommend it to my listeners. It was fantastic, especially if you're Canadian or you're a rock and roll fan or both. But, um, of course, they wrote that song and the lyrics speak to that uh, phenomenon that you just reflected on for yourself, where hopefully. And, and, you know, Maslow talked about this in that, remember that Psych 101 course we all took in our undergrad, <laughs> the, uh, the, the the levels of, of I guess, human development, the hierarchy yeah, of Maslow's, needs. Yeah, uh, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, yeah. right? Yeah. And the the defining principle in that final hierarchical level, uh, the, the level of self-actualization, pivots around the notion of can you shift away the center of your universe away from yourself to others and the the fully conscious human being uh makes that transition it's funny how many world philosophies uh try to describe that uh, religions and philosophical outlooks but yeah it's a it's a it's a pivot point that is quite evident or if it's there and if it's not there it's also quite evident is at a certain point in life do do people get to that sort of highest level of consciousness and get up in the morning and have their orientation be about other folks? Now, I think fatherhood and motherhood tends to drive quite a bit of that. But I know people even without kids who at some point in their life, say either something happens to them or around them where they just come through that that steep learning curve and find that their fulfillment factor in life goes up remarkably as they mature and become fully conscious human beings to the extent that they, yeah, they, they do exactly what you just said. They care less about what, what's necessarily good for them and look and say, well, who are the people that I really care about? And um, am I doing anything to bring value to them? Whether it's kids I coach on the hockey rink or it's my own family or it's people in the community or people at work or, in this case, with emergent, the work you're doing in emergent, it must be so gratifying because, again, your contribution to society comes from your work, and not everybody can say that, right? I mean, there's a lot of, in fact, I remember in our podcast series talking to a lot of our guests whose uh, parents, mother, father, or grandparents really didn't have that luxury of being able to go to work and do the kind of things that we're so lucky to do, eh, Jeff, in, in life science and in the work I do in sort of the organizational development component. Uh, like my dad was at the railway for well, 35 years of his life. And, you know, I'm sure it was brain numbing work sometimes. And he got his uh, joy from 
being involved in the community and serving in public office and on, on tons of volunteer groups. And, uh, and I know you've, you've had a similar sort of background that's been handed to you by both your parents and your grandparents, but we're so lucky in our generation, right? That we can go to work each day and you can come home from work and your daughters and your wife can say, so how was work today? And you're basically able to brag about saving lives. <laughs> how cool is that? How self-actualized is that? But to your credit, Jeff, I just see that that's just the way you're wired and the way people describe you. So obviously the vocation you chose, life science and giving back and making an impact, fits very well with your nature that you've worked hard to develop since you know that set of hockey coaches woke that awoken that in you, right? That that prodded you to be something more than just a gifted player on the ice. Yeah, well, how gifted might be an overstatement. <laughs> uh, um, well, believe me, Rob, I I, uh, I feel like I'm one of the luckiest persons to ever live with the you know some of the experiences, and it's not, not all been sunshine and, and roses. But I, I I I am very very lucky to be in the to to live the life that I've uh, that I've been that I've been given. And I've, I feel very fortunate and I'm, I'm, uh, I'm thankful to my family. I'm thankful to God for, for providing these opportunities. Um, and, uh, you know, one of the, one of the things you have to do is recognize those opportunities, but, you know, I, I, you know, I, I, I was all, all this to say is I'm, I'm, I feel lucky and fortunate and thankful to be uh, where I'm at, uh, and, and how I got, uh, to where I am today. Um, when we're talking about Maslow and uh, the hierarchy of needs, I don't think that's linear. I, th- I think that's more of a jagged line, uh, climbing mm-hmm. that, that hierarchy. And I think, you know, we take a couple of steps forward and maybe a step backward or maybe two or three steps backwards. And once you realize that, once you hit that self-actualization um, component, which is at the top of the hierarchy, I, I think it takes effort to stay there. I don't think that that is self-sustaining. I think that really it, 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 it requires uh a continual, continuous uh, review of you know what is important, how you're doing things, how you're living your life, and and um, in, in, inevitably there are distractions that come along and and um, and things that you set you back. Uh, it's that resiliency and determination, and, and 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 perhaps having some of that taste of self actualization and, and helping others and getting that intrinsic reward. That's part of the driver to get back to that state. I, and I and I and I truly believe that. I believe that in in almost everything that we do. That it's you know, except aging. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, Life is not I, linear. No, I I love that you made that point. That um, maintaining that mindset, um, that spirit of generosity for others, takes a lot of work. I mean, I even saw my parents, who were fairly religious people, and I had this conversation with both of them at different points in my life, and I said, you know. Dad, mom, how do you do it? How do you how do you stay that discipline in your approach? Because there was a lot of reasons for those two to look after themselves. They they in both cases had their lives turned upside down by the war. But I that was the answer I got back from both of them is you got to work hard at it. Now they used their faith to do that, but um, it doesn't. It's 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 actually everything in the world seems to be act, working against that notion, right? And, and pushing us all to just look after ourselves and make sure we got our peace. So no, I think you're hundred percent right about that. It takes a lot of work, whether it's a relationship, a marriage, a, a friendship, a, you know, a, a sense of community, a vocation like yours, Jeff, where you, you know, you find work that allows you to express that. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's a, it's a commitment and it's an orientation that it's easy to fall out of the, the entropy is so natural to push us back into that more selfish state that it takes a lot of work. And I even see that in our culture work that we do with our clients, right? If, if you don't tend the garden, the weeds grow pretty fast and little bad, little behaviors that are bad become more common and they just overcrowd the good stuff that could have been part of the culture and could have allowed people to flourish. So, you know, it's um, I'm, I'm with you. And, and I think your observation is is really important. So thanks for that. Jeff, is there anything we haven't touched on in our time this, today that you'd like to talk a little bit about? 
nothing, nothing that comes to mind, Rob. I want to say thanks for inviting me onto the podcast, and I've listened to a number of these. And uh, congratulations to you and uh, and 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 thrive uh, on your twentieth uh, 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 year anniversary and. Uh, so, Rob, you and I started working together when you first started in this, and I can't believe 20 years has passed since then. Um, <laughs> That's and just looking back and, and when we were first introduced and, uh, you know, I mentioned about being, uh, you know, a selfish young man. I was a selfish young man when you and I met. So you've been you've been you've been a partner of mine and a mentor of mine and, and a guiding uh, a guiding force throughout this uh, throughout this career journey. Um, and, you know, <laughs> And I know that can't have always been, that couldn't have always been easy for you, Ross. So thanks for your, I, I want to say thanks for your help and congratulations on your 20th anniversary. Thanks, Jeff. It's been an honor to actually uh, be in the navigator's chair with you over that time. Because what makes it so fulfilling for me is to see people like yourself uh, make such tremendous progress and have such an impact on your coworkers, the Patients at the end of the value stream, physicians, uh, the people who report to you, even your bosses have noticed the impact that you make. And just to think, well, I might have had a little bit to do with that, just at least to be there as a sounding board, but also just the man in the community you've become. And I know that uh, I've referred people to you as a point, as a, as a, as a mentor, and I appreciate that you jumped in to help some of those people I thought, and I still think can are benefiting from your guidance. So appreciate that about you. And thanks for joining us today. It's been a lot of fun and uh, kudos to you to have chosen uh, a less beaten path than others. And I hope you and your team and Emergent have nothing but tremendous success because man, the impact that you're having and can have going forward is extraordinary. So um, thanks for all the work that you're doing there and uh, for being a high impact leader in our community. Well, thank you, Rob. Okay. We'll talk soon. Okay. All right. Bye for now.